I mean, you, you either believe in the primacy of the customer and you believe that you're going to empower your employees to do whatever it takes to keep a customer or, or you don't. Welcome to Leading Matters. I hope it's not your first time here, but if it is your first time here, you've picked an awesome episode to get acquainted with Leading Matters, where we talk about mission, purpose, vision, engaging the workforce in a way that's going to kind of improve the connection we have with our marketplace in a way that helps them get to where they need to be to make their decisions that are going to benefit them and and what they're doing. So that's what we try to achieve here. And today, I got to tell you, my guest today is Jay Baer. As always, I get into a deeper introduction of Jay when we get started. Uh, you probably know him. He's, he's written a bunch of books. Uh, his recent one is called Hug Your Haters. So I'll save the longer introduction for when we get into the interview here. But listen, I've been a fan and, and uh, I've had a lot of respect for Jay Bear since I first stumbled onto social media probably back in 2008, 2009. Uh, but my respect for this guy has gone through the roof with this most recent work, which is all about customer service in what he calls a very disruptive moment in the way that we're connecting with our customers, how we're helping them, and and how we can turn what's been an expense category of our P&L to maybe a revenue generator by really paying attention to the way that we're communicating and connecting with our customers. This episode, it's dense, it's packed with information, it's got incredible insight from Jay, actionable insight, things that you can take back to your offices and your businesses, you know, when you get out of the car, when you're finished listening, you could actually do something today, take action that's going to improve the way that you're serving your customer, not just in a way to keep your customer advocacy high, which will certainly happen, but in a way that's going to give you a better market position that's going to differentiate your company. You know, he gets into this one thing here about, hey, if you were, if I were to ask you about who the most differentiating or who's the best at customer service today, you could probably rattle off a couple right off the top of your head. And he makes it pretty clear that the reason we can say that is because not a lot of companies focus on customer service in this new disruptive way. So there is so much packed into this episode. I want you to go buy Jay's book. Um, I'm not shilling for him. I certainly don't get any you know, compensation from you buying Jay's book, but I like his mission of saying, hey, look, in another 18 months, I'd love to ask that same question, who is great at customer service and have people think, well, gee, there's so many, I can't pick just one. I mean, that's his mission. That's his vision for this work. Go pick it up. Seek out their help because it's truly, it, it's impactful to the way that you're going to run your business. And, and I would argue not just in customer service, but it will ultimately impact how you're enabling the sales team to connect with their prospects, uh, how your marketing team is building content, how marketing should get involved in the customer service discussion so you could set up your customers for success early, uh, that you're being an advocate for your customers so they can turn can be an advocate for you. There's so much packed in here, so please listen to it once, listen to it a couple times, pass it over to your colleagues at work, send it up the command chain if you're in the middle of the organization, if you're at the top of the organization, make your teams listen to it because I guarantee you you're going to get some value, some nugget of wisdom from Jay Bear and his new work, Hug Your Haters. So with no further ado, let's get into my interview with Jay Bear, founder of Convince and Convert and author of Hug Your Haters. Okay, the chances are that if you are even a casual Twitter user, you probably know who Jay Bear is because he is one of the world's most retweeted 
salespersons among digital marketers. He's a renowned business strategist, a keynote speaker, and a New York Times bestselling author of five books, including some that you might have heard of, Utility and The Now Revolution, just to name a couple. He helps businesses literally all over the globe to get and keep customers and has done it for some great brands like Nike, Caterpillar, Allstate, to name a couple. He's the founder of Convince and Convert, which is a strategy consulting firm focusing on just that, helping you get and keep customers. But it does it in a way that allows you to see and execute around the smart intersection of technology, social media, and customer service. Jay's the creator of five multi-million dollar companies. He's an active venture capitalist, technology advisor, and oh, by the way, he collects tequila. Got to admit, I didn't even know that was a thing, so maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. And his new book is uh, coming out soon. It's called Hug Your Haters, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. It's a radically new look at how businesses of all sizes across all industries need to handle their relationship with their customers by really speaking to some of the squeakiest wheels. So I'm thrilled to have him here today. I'm a fan of his work. I'm, I'm humbled to have him on the show. So Jay, thank you so much for joining me today on Leading Matters. Uh, Joel, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you for those uh, kind words. And uh, we are recording this in the morning, unfortunately. Otherwise, we could do like a whole tequila tasting during the show. Uh, maybe next time. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, that's, a, that's, a, that's a deal. This goes well. I think we should do it. We'll set it up. Uh, I'm so, in. <laughs> so listen, um, you know, I got to tell you, the intro of the book alone was was great. Um, oh, shoot. And I had it written down. Tom, Tom, Tom Webster. That's right. From Tom Edison. Webster from Edison Research. And Edison, right, yeah. yeah, Edison did the research, and Tom just writes a. And I look, and again, I'm not blowing smoke here. It was one of the best intros to the book that I've read. It was very brief, but it was to the point. It, was, it basically kind of was a really a, kind of a, a punch right in the face, saying, "Listen, there's something going on here. The way we're looking at customer relationships is changed, and we have the data to support it." And Jay's written a great book about it, so it's like, "Wow, I can't wait, wait to jump into this." I mean, I, I, I've seen you do some other interviews for the book. Were you as surprised as it as it appears to be by the data that came back from Edison? Well, so surprised, Joel, that I actually started out to write a different book. I don't know if you if you know this story, but the original premise here. Uh, my original idea was that speed is the killer differentiator, that speed is more important than anything else in business and that in this crazy mobile social enabled world that if you're fast, you're better. That was the thesis. That's what I hired Edison to test. I said, look, this is what I believe to be true. But unlike most business books, which are simply a, you know, a collection of anecdotes and advice and Jay has an idea, trust Jay, you should do this. I thought, you know, I want to actually back this up with real information. And so I hired Edison, which is one of the country's most respected attitude collection firms, to actually test the premise. And what they found was that the premise isn't true. Uh, speed is important for sure. But it's not the most important thing. It turns out that the most important thing is just showing up. The most important thing is just answering your customers. More than a third of all customer complaints are never answered. And almost all of those that are ignored are online and in public. And so I started out to write a book about speed. But once I got the research back, I wrote a totally different book about being everywhere and being responsive. And that's what became Hug Your Haters. Wow, that, that's it's interesting because you know when I again first picked it up, you know I, I didn't know what to expect, and obviously there's there's much written about the uh, proliferation of of mobile and social and how how it makes us respond to our customers, but it's a really deep and nuanced book as far as the different types of complainers and and how we treat them. So for the benefit of the audience that probably has not yet had a chance to read the book, can you explain the concept that you kind of revolve almost through the entire book about the offstage versus the onstage haters? Sure. Well, let me say first that customer service is being disrupted in the same exact ways that marketing has been disrupted. And for the same reasons, right? It's mobile, it's millennials, it's social media. There are 
500 books about marketing disruption, some written by me. There are approximately zero books, now one, on customer service disruption. So it's the same story, but just in a totally different side of business. And, you know, we, we probably spend too much time thinking about marketing and not enough time thinking about customer service and, and customer retention. One of the numbers that I cite in the book is that each year globally, we spend about $500 billion a year on marketing and about $9 billion a year on customer service. That's probably out of balance at, at some level, given how important customer retention is uh, to to the bottom line. So that's that's why I, I created this book. And I got to tell you, it's hard to write a book about social media, and it's hard to market a book about social media because everybody thinks they're already good at it. They're like, "Why would I need a book on customer service? Uh, I, I'm good at customer service, even in a social media context." And and then you actually do the research and and realize, oh, maybe you're not as good as as you thought you were. And one of the reasons that people People aren't as good as they think they are is social media's impact on uh, on customer service. So in the research, this was not a premise. This this emerged out of the data. There's actually two distinct different types of haters, as you mentioned. The first group are called off-stage haters, and we call them off-stage haters because they complain in private. And they and they typically use the legacy channels, what we would consider to be legacy channels, telephone and email. The other group are on-stage haters, and they complain in public. Generally speaking, social media, uh, review sites like Yelp, TripAdvisor, Spiceworks, Angie's List, whatever the ratings and review sites are in your industry, and there is some in every industry, uh, and then discussion boards and forums. But what's interesting is while there are some demographic differences between the offstage and onstage, they're not significant. The biggest differences are in expectations, what they expect from business, and that's where the real opportunity lies. Yeah, you know, it, that I, I love that discussion about it, too, because it almost seemed, and again, I don't want to, well, this is how I read it, and you tell me if you think I'm, I'm on track here or maybe I missed the point, but it seemed to me, because, again, I don't want to get too far ahead because we're going to talk a little bit more detail about some of the concepts in the book, but it seemed to me that if I was a company trying to wade into a more aggressive way to connect with those that are complaining about my product or service, that the low risk, high reward would actually be in those on stage areas, you know, to a point, because obviously the public square has its own challenges. But it seemed like the the return was greater there because they they ex they don't expect as much of a response as some of the quote unquote off stage haters. I mean, did I read that properly? No, that's exactly that's absolutely right. Um, the the data shows that if you answer a customer complaint on the phone or a customer complaint on email they expect you to do that 90% of the time, right? And, and that, that's just how business has evolved. If you call a business, you expect them to get back to you. If you email them, you expect them to get back to you. And so when you do that, there is no great loyalty bump because of that. It's just like, well, yeah, I mean, that's, of course, that's how it works, right? So, so there's no big upside there. There's considerable downside, though, because everybody expects to get a response in email and phone. When you don't get one, the, the drop in customer advocacy, which is what we measured in the research, is significant. The flip side of that is the onstage haters, social media and beyond, because they don't necessarily expect businesses to reply, because so many businesses, frankly, do not reply, that when you do, when you are one of the businesses that takes the time to hug their haters, to answer every complaint in every channel every time, it, it wins people's uh, minds and steals their hearts. They're like, wow, I can't believe you actually found this. And so the, the advocacy and loyalty increase is up to 25% just by answering one complaint. And I mean, is there, you know, it's, it's interesting because, well, let me, let me put it this way. I love your take on it that it's a disruptive moment in customer service. And I think you said earlier in the book that 
not much has been done to innovate this approach since like the 70s. I mean, I was like, wow, you know, if you think about it, it's like that's, I mean, that's stark, right? That this this area of our business and then the, the budget, they just discussed 500 billion going to marketing versus 9 billion on customer service and retention. That This is a lot about the culture of business development in this age, right? So given that the public square and the onstage haters might have the highest opportunity for success and, and certainly better return out of the gate, you know, do you think there's, do you think that, I guess what I'm asking is at the end of the day when you wrote the book, is this a seminal moment to really capitalize on like fertile ground here for companies that are just starting to think about, hey, we could differentiate ourselves in this way? Absolutely. Customer service is the new marketing. Uh, marketing and, and even the new marketing has been so uh, shop-worn now that everybody's using the same playbook. That's not true in customer service. If you're thinking, how can we actually differentiate? How can we stand out? How can we do something different than other people who operate in the same category of business? Customer service is the blue ocean, not marketing. Uh, and there's lots of examples in the book of companies who see that and are already doing it, whether it's Discover Card and financial services, uh, KLM and airlines, number of small business examples uh, as well. You can really set yourself apart. In fact, let me give you, give you an example, Joel. If I ask you right now, uh, who's really good at uh, customer service online, you could come up with a couple of names. Everybody listening could come up with a couple of names right now. Why? Because they're so rare. They are remarkable in the true sense of that word, which means worthy of remark. And the fact that you can name some because they are so unlikely and outliers tells you everything you need to know about the state of customer service disruption. My hope is that 18 months from now, Enough people have read this book and enough people have accepted the advice in this book that if I ask you who's really great at customer service, especially online, you won't be able to give me an answer because so many companies are good at it that it is no longer exceptional. Well, I would imagine, though, that it takes strong leadership to, to make this happen. In other words, it, it isn't it – isn't, it's not like I let me give you a great example, right? I started my career off testing uh, desktop software, right, for a project management company, and part of the training there when I was uh, getting started was you had to spend time on the phone, uh, probably about six, you know, do like a six to six week to eight month kind of hitch on support to learn the product and talk to your customers. And I'll never forget we had a new product out. And there was a printing issue, and I had no idea how to fix it. So I was on the phone with this poor guy for like 45 minutes, and he was getting increasingly more frustrated because I couldn't fix it. I finally found the help, right? Um, and then we, we sent him on his way. But And he was happy, right? Because, you know, this was early 90s, and he was just pleased to, to have it fixed, right, even though it took me forever to get to the answer. But the question here is that that was a conscious decision for the organization, is that, listen, we want – it's important for us not just – for our employees to know the product, but also to have an appreciation for how our customers are using the product. So I would imagine that if we're going to take advantage of this opportunities, that leadership has to not only see the opportunity before them, but make it a priority inherent across the entire company. I mean, is that true? And if so, what what is it that leaders need to do to make this opportunity kind of a transformational moment of the company? Oh, it's incredibly important. In fact, I don't know that you can be disproportionately good at customer service or customer experience uh, with without uh, having exceptionally strong culture behind it. It's that culture of genuine hospitality that I talk about in the book. I mean, it, you can't you can't fake it. I mean, you, you either believe in the primacy of the customer and you believe that you're going to empower your employees to do whatever it takes to keep a customer or or you don't, right? There, there is no half pregnant in that game. So 
the companies that are great at customer service and the names that we all know, no question, have a, a culture that supports uh, customer service and customer experience as perhaps their most important quality, more important than price or supply chain or marketing, for example, or, or anything else. Um, I think ultimately what has to happen is you've got to have leaders understand that customer service can be a profit center, not just an expense. And for decades, we have historically viewed customer service as a necessary evil, as as a, a part of the operations department that costs us money that we have to do because some of our customers will complain. But when you look at what the geometric multiplier impact is of getting good at customer service, getting great at customer service, and on customer retention and customer advocacy, it can really pay off. I talked about KLM, Royal Dutch Airlines. Uh, they have an unbelievable uh, social media customer service team, 150 full-time people who answer some 60,000 questions a week on Twitter and Facebook. Last year, they sold $25 million worth of airline tickets, essentially on accident, right? They're, they're not a sales team. They're a customer service team. But in the course of doing customer service, they sold $25 million worth of tickets. So the entire group is revenue neutral or perhaps revenue positive. That's the kind of impact you can see. But, but you have to believe the math. And, and what I find, Joel, is that most executives simply don't. And, uh -huh. and it's no surprise because they have been trained both in school and in practice to, to believe otherwise. There are – I'm going to just throw out a number here and say 500,000 uh, MBAs uh, in this world who have a concentration in marketing. There's about zero who have a concentration <laughs> in customer service. That's a good point. You know, I uh, boy, there's so much in that statement and, and that whole answer there, right? Because I loved the. Um, I'm a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. I know you you mentioned him a couple times in the book, and mm -hmm. it specifically, it come he comes up when you are talk you're addressing the fear of people gaming the system, right? So there was well, hey, well, my, if I'm giving out free coupons to people that praise us, am I going to get gamed, right? And you ask Gary to respond to that. He's like, well, who cares? And basically, he was like, so what, right? Because he clearly sees it as a part of marketing and not necessarily part of uh, just the necessary evil, right? So there's so much packed in that, right? But I wonder here is this, and it's a great point that there's, you know, nobody's getting their MBA in customer service or customer experience, right? But is there, like, what is it? Like, what's the one thing? If I'm a leader that sees that this is important, let's say I'm not even a leader. Let's say I'm like a middle manager type of person who has a team of, of uh, you know, support people for a SaaS company. And renewals is important to my company. Because, uh, you know, and that's churn rate is usually a, a metric that everyone's aware of, that everyone knows is important. So if I'm a leader of a team of 12 and my company isn't there yet, like what can I do in the middle of the organization to say hey, this is going to be important to me? And they pick up your book and they've read it. Like what? And again, I might put you on the spot here a little bit, but but what would you say to them as far as, hey, what's the one thing you could do to, to act today to do your part to, to have it you know, become part of the DNA of the company. Uh, what we always do, and I, I live this principle all the time. Um, what we always do in our company, from a consulting standpoint, is is we always start with what we call an honesty audit. Um, so, so we uh, look at uh, a subset of all of the existing customer contact and the customer contact mechanisms. So. What happens when customers call you? What happens when they email you? What happens when they reach you on Twitter, Facebook, and beyond? And we take a cross-section and say, are, are we answering those customers or are we not? And if we are answering them, are we telling them the right thing? Are we answering them with the least amount of hassle for those customers? And once you start to, to look at those kind of data sets, 
you start to realize quite quickly that there's lots of room to get better. So that's the, the first thing you can do inside the organization. The second thing you can do is if you find examples of other companies, especially in your category, who are differentiating with customer service, that usually gets executive attention uh, pretty quickly. The third thing you can do uh, if you can make this happen in the organization without drawing too much attention is to actually test it, to say, let's take a cross-section of customers Maybe it's during a time horizon for a week or two, or maybe it's in a particular channel, or maybe it's a, questions about a particular product or service or in a particular region, but, but take a, a, a subset of customers and deliver what you believe to be truly exceptional service above and beyond what you do customarily to that group, and then see what the impact is on that group. So, okay, that's, that's good. I like that, right? But as you're speaking there, I'm thinking, man, I, I would love... Like you're, I love. I really, you know, I can't you know, praise the book enough because I do think it's such a, um, it, it, you know, it's a ripple type of effect, right? And when I read that, I'm thinking, well, there's, I could think of, you know, twenty of my clients that I'll give the book to because I, I think that we can, we can arrange that. <laughs> sure, see if I can't set it up, right? Uh, but listen, here, here's the idea, right? That it seems to me that marketing has a much greater role to play here because I, in my experience, yes. that. The customer service team, the customer experience teams, they do have a job to do. And I'm speaking mostly on the B2B side, right? It's a little bit different on the consumer side because it, it is a little bit quicker and, and more nuanced as far as what the comms are, communications are, right? But on the B2B side, you know, it seems to me that marketing should be a catalyst here to say that, especially if you consider that, you know, content marketing is getting a little bit of pushback from the sales teams these days, right? Especially the more complex the sales cycle goes. That, oh, this right. isn't helpful. It's, you know, it's increasing my garbage leads, not really helping me accelerate deals. So it, it, do you agree that marketing needs to be kind of the champion of saying, listen, we're going to produce content not only that fills the marketing pipeline and gets people to a, a, a sales qualified lead, whatever that's defined as in the company, yep. but yep. it also prepares the customer to be immediately successful and then identifies the areas where they're not going to be successful and kind of be proactive to help them through that. And oh, by the way, it's going to make us for a stronger sales team. Do you think they have that role and that responsibility? Well, I think they do in some companies, and and I think they probably should in more companies. But but when you start to to say one group that has historically been siloed should now kind of run the processes of another group that has historically been siloed, while that might make exceptional amounts of sense on paper, it is of course very very difficult to effectuate because one group has to say you're right. We should be better off, you know, working underneath your auspices. And my experience as a consultant is that that almost never happens because there's just there's just too much self interest involved. Um, you know, you've got separate management teams, you've got separate bonus structures, you've got separate all this other kind of stuff. In many cases, different locations. It just gets really, really difficult. However, we have actually been brought in as consultants to to do some of those kind of programs to say, hey. How can we get these groups to work more closely together? Because ultimately, I'm actually doing a presentation this week uh, about marketing and and. Um, this concept that like, look, if you parachuted in, uh, you know, and maybe you'd been like frozen in ice or you're from Mars or whatever, and you said, hey, here's the way business runs. Um, so you've got a, a division for marketing uh, and then you have a separate division for sales and you have a third division for customer service. If you didn't know any better, you'd be like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. That doesn't make any sense at all. That's ridiculous, <laughs> yeah. right? You should have one group that, that, that deals with customers across the entire life cycle of that relationship uh, that just has different programs based on the funnel stage. You shouldn't have different departments with different managers and different compensation schemes. It's the whole thing. The whole way business is structured is ridiculous uh, in this day and age. Yeah, Jay, I'm wondering, have you read uh, The Challenger Sale? 
Yes, of course. So um, I'm a big fan of the book. I actually had Brett Adams yeah, on the show, and he just wrote oh, nice. uh, uh, customer uh, challenge customer as well, as which yeah. actually talks about this very thing, kind of operationalizing yep. that methodology. I mean, do you think? And for those in the audience that might not have read the book, the Challenger Sale basically uh, suggests that listen, we got to get out of the the pain solution, you know, paradigm and get into the prescription of exactly what we prescribe for the customer to be successful, right? And that's where the differentiating point is. And I, when I was reading your book, I saw a great overlap, right? Because if you adhere and subscribe to that model that we're going to be prescriptive to our customers, that it seems natural, like you just said here, is to make these things work together to say that customer service is going to be part of that differentiating prescription. So, I mean, again, I don't put words into your mouth here, but do you think that's a fair kind of mesh of these two ideas is really understand the customer's business even better than they can in some areas because you do it for more companies and across more industries than the customer only does it for one themselves, right? And then, you know, offer up a more prescriptive approach about not just the answer to the complaint or the problem, but hey, what the proper solution is. Well, I think the best way to 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 frame that up is is Amazon's philosophy which is impossible to actually execute in the real world, but as a North Star principle, I think it's fantastic. Amazon's philosophy is we never should have to answer the same question twice. That if, if, that if we get the same question twice, we have somehow failed to appropriately educate our customer uh, with content, with predictive customer service, with anything else at our disposal. Um, if we see a pattern of, of the same questions, then, then it is our fault, not their fault. Uh, again, people ask all kinds of crazy questions and people don't read, and, and there's a lot of reasons why you would get repeat questions. But as a call to arms, I love that philosophy. Great. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. But let, let me expand on that, this idea of answering the question once, right? Because I, I think about – you talk about forums and discussion groups as kind of the original you know, social media in a way. Sure. And I like that, right? Uh, and I also think that as, especially uses of technology, we, you know, we get used to finding the answers where, where they live. Um, but I, it, it seems to me that that's some business applications today, if you think of like the Evernotes and the Dropbox, even Apple to an mm-hmm. extent – have an over dependency on that curated you know solution. They they ask their communities to come up with it and then they curate them. So okay, yeah. that's fine if that's an approach, right? But do do these companies that rely on forums and discussion groups, do they have a responsibility to curate the results better, make them easy to find, and even optimize them better for search? They do. Uh and and I and I absolutely love the way you framed that too about curating them better and optimizing them better. Um the premise is strong. In fact, there's research in the book. It's not from me, but we cite it from other sources that says that people actually prefer self-service, that some three out of four customers actually prefer it if they can find the answer themselves without having to call or email. And that makes perfect sense, right? It's actually, if you if you think about sort of the, the relative friction, it's easier if I can just go to a forum and search and find my answer as opposed to having to go to Facebook or having to write an email or having to wait on hold. Uh, it is actually uh, easier if, however, as you adroitly point out, those answers are organized in such a way that I can find them easily. Um, some are, some are not. I think that's more of a software UX, UI circumstance, more so than a corporate culture. Uh, we believe in this circumstance. Uh, but there's a quote in the book from one of the companies I interviewed who said, look, if you had to had to design a customer service program from scratch today, you would never say, well, what we should do is have everybody pick up the phone and use their time to call in to get their answer uh, 
you know, handled on a one-to-one basis. Like you would never start there today, right? You would start with community-based service, do that well. And then at the very, very bottom of the funnel, if you just for some reason can't get it handled, then you call. Uh, and, and we are in the process, I think, of making that transformation. Some are doing it much better than others, but there is no question that you're going to see more and more of it. The other thing that's really exciting to me, Joel, is, is this idea of predictive customer service and, and marrying big data mm-hmm. with, with customer satisfaction and saying, look, we are, we are always scanning the data and we see a circumstance whereby we believe this customer is going to express some level of uh, unhappiness. So let's proactively do something to change that. So it's essentially answering questions and, and solving problems before the problems become a problem. Uh, I think there's a huge amount of future in that and lots of companies are working on it. So let me, um, you know, I know you do a little bit of uh, investing here and there. And I'm curious about the technology landscape here. I know you know a host. There's a host of technologies that help mm-hmm. customer service, but I, I want to ask a little bit of a different question because you know I pay attention to those things as well, and I see three big areas. You know, you mentioned big data, obviously, which is I think not as new as, as it used to be a couple years ago, right? But you mentioned you know big data. I also see a, a new kind of um, employee feedback loop and, and, and feedback mm-hmm. system getting more popular and then also and that and really just general HR as well and then also kind of a new kind of SaaS 3.0 if you will of CRM so so big data you know being more in tune with what's happening within our own company and engagement and then more visibility into our sales process from from the from the truly the customer relationship perspective do you think yep. that these three areas on top of the technologies that are helping customer success teams i mean is that a potential next wave of 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 business technology you know to take a look at and to pay attention to absolutely and some of it's already out there right it's it's already coming the challenge is what it has to replace. So so that kind of horizontal software approach to solving some really important business problems um, that that in for big companies can occur, you know, every second somebody complains or or, or raises their hand about something in the world. Uh, the, the switching cost is really high, right? It, it's almost like ERP. It's like, well, yeah, this is a better mousetrap, but to rip out our current mousetrap and, and go here is like pinstriping yeah. a car while it's moving, right? It's really, really difficult at the implementation phase. And I actually feel like the, the software is going to move faster than our ability to implement it because to say, okay, now let's totally change how we handle customer service. Let's rewire all of our customer service software and marry it with aggressive uh, and smart uh, and predictive CRM uh, of course, that's the way to go. But but to actually get there day to day is daunting for big companies in particular. Wow, that's uh, that's I find it fascinating. I'm just so so excited about the book. And I mean, hell, today we can't even get the people on the same. I mean, right now you see this all the time. I talk about it in the book. Um, you know, if you call somebody, uh, they ask for your account number. Um, oh, and then yeah. they transfer you to and somebody you and you got to give them their account number yeah. again. And it's like, well, wait a second. Didn't <laughs> I just type that into the keypad? I mean, that's just symptomatic of where we're at. And then, of course, you get the onstage to offstage uh, difference where, where you, t- you talk to them on the phone and then you reach out on Facebook. And the first thing they ask you for is your account number because there's no ability to talk between phone, email and Facebook, yes. Twitter, et cetera. It's literally uh, completely different. And, and, and that uh, is enormously challenging for business, but exceptionally frustrating for customers, B2B and B2C. It, look, again, I want to put you on the spot again, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> That's what I want to do as the host of the show. Um, but if you had to just pick one or two technologies that we should be paying attention to that are out there that people might not be aware of uh, that kind of help facilitate the quote-unquote right way to address our, our haters and engage them in a meaningful way, what would it be? Well, you're, you're going to have to have 
some robust listening software because the first principle of hugging your haters and answering every complaint is finding all the complaints. Uh, and, and I find that most organizations at all sizes don't listen hard enough. Right? If somebody if somebody addresses them directly in social media, for example, they may or may not answer, uh, but at least they'll see it. But but there's lots of indirect complaints and indirect mentions uh, online that we typically don't see because we just don't look hard enough. So you've got to have good uh, listening software. Uh, and then I think the other piece I would say is for particular industries, not every industry, but for particular industries, the ratings and reviews part of it is so critical. Um, and, and the APIs of the ratings and review sites are, are typically not public, and even if they are public, are kind of kludgy. So you almost have to have some sort of ratings and reviews-driven software to do that at scale. Uh, big news last week that, that Yelp actually sold full access to their database, Open API, to Sprinkler, which is the first move that anybody's ever made uh, in terms of having that level of access to a major ratings and review site. So that's maybe the first of the dominoes to fall, which uh, would make it a lot easier to actually incorporate ratings and reviews into the same processes that we're trying to use to do Twitter, Facebook, and beyond. Wow, thanks. That's that's good. I, I'm go ahead and take a look at that and, and pay more attention because I think it, you know, like I said earlier on, I and actually you mentioned at the beginning that we're in a disruptive moment here, and really mapping out your moves along the disruption is, is key. I think so. Look, Jay, I want to be mindful of your time. There's so much. Look, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm I love the conversation. I love the book. I'd be happy to talk to you for a while, but you know, pretty soon it'd be tequila time, so we, we would have to stop. That <laughs> Every all times are tequila times, Joel. <laughs> It's the it's the most underappreciated beverage ever. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm excited to learn that you're a tequila fan and, and uh, when I need to uh, you know figure out which one to go buy next, I'll, I'll give I you a would shout. be happy to recommend uh, <laughs> a tequila for you. Okay. So listen, uh, tell my audience about the book, when it's available, where they can get it. I know you have some special offers if they kind of uh, get on early. So uh, go ahead yeah. and share that information. Book is officially out. Super excited about that. It is uh, storming up the bestseller list. You can get the book all the places and ways that books can be gotten. Uh, online, offline, audiobook is available as well, read by me as well as Tom Webster, who did the foreword. Uh, if you go to hugyourhaters.com, which is the official site of the book, there's a bunch of different special offers there that you can take advantage of. So if you buy uh, books uh, from Amazon or where have you, uh, and then email me the receipt or get it in a bookstore and scan the receipt and email it to me. I'll send you a bunch of special awesome stuff uh, that you can't get anywhere else. Including Hug Your Hater Socks, I believe, correct? Including Hug Your Hater Socks. Or I Love Hater Socks, which are sweet, limited edition. <laughs> uh, there's all kinds of extra research, really interesting, fascinating research that didn't make it into the book. Uh, we have uh, a Hug Your Haters uh, Facebook group, which you can get access to if you buy, I think it's three or more copies. And we launched the group two weeks ago for people who bought the book early. And it is already the number one group uh, on Facebook for customer service and customer experience. There's 275 people and they're super active and some of the some of the world's foremost leaders uh, in these topics, uh, you know, pointing out case studies and examples and advice. It is going off. So a very cool place to hang out online. That's great. That's, uh, you know, I, I would encourage everybody to check that out. So listen, we've been speaking with Jay Bear. He is the founder of Convince and Convert. He's written a number of books, Utility, The Now Revolution. But this one, Hug Your haters is I, I think in my opinion you know really some of his best work and it's incredibly fascinating it's uh you know it's going to make an impact on your business and how you do things so 
uh, look, I'm not again just blowing smoke here. You need to go pick this one up. Uh, you need to, to you know give it a good uh, read, read it a second time, and then you know make some decisions about what you're going to do for your company and how you're going to lead your culture, your mission, your values to improve the way that you are indeed hugging your haters. Jay, thanks so much for taking time, and, and more importantly, thanks for the great work. It's an awesome, awesome, awesome book. Yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate the kind words. I loved talking to you. Let's do it again. 